Entrepreneurs often have similar characteristics. Energy, passion, vision. But why do some soar to success while others struggle to climb? Less than 2% of women-owned businesses in North America ever achieve a million dollars a year in annual revenue. Why is that? And how do we dramatically increase that number? Welcome to Breakthrough with your host, Sarah Roach-Lewis. Sarah offers conversations with the ambitious women entrepreneurs in that 2% to help you break through. Now, here is Sarah Roach-Lewis. Well, hello, ambitious one. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Breakthrough. Perhaps you have a bold ambition or an emerging desire to hit the million-dollar mark and beyond in your business. You may be well on your way or just starting out. Regardless, this show is for you. I want to welcome Travinia Barber to the show today. Travinia is the founder of Priority VA. She's a real-world business development pro who helps entrepreneurs scale their business, sharpen their leadership, and build great teams. Welcome to Breakthrough, Travinia. Dude, I'm so excited to be here. I am so thrilled, too. Um, We've known each other for a couple of years through a 90-day year coaching program that we took. And at that time, I was just starting out and really had absolutely no idea what I was doing every single day. And you, I had and continue to have so much admiration for because you just have this great ambition and a great sense of humor and an authenticity that I can't even wrap my head around. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here, Travinia. Man, it, it's a joy. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Uh, thanks so for having me. let's just jump right in and um, tell me a little bit about Priority VA and what was your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, you know, I always kind of joke that I feel like I was an accidental entrepreneur. You know, I didn't grow up with dreams of owning a business or anything like that, but I did. So my uh, kind of ambitions were I wanted to be an English professor because I just liked correcting people. (laughs) Then I wanted to be a marine biologist because I wanted to be near an ocean. And I ended up working in uh, executive administration, totally different than all of that. And I stumbled upon being a business owner. Honestly, I I knew I wanted to be in charge. Like that was always something. So I kind of had goals of like, maybe I'll run a business. Like maybe I'll be a manager or CEO, but I never thought like it'd be mine. And so I started working as an executive assistant and did that for a long time and started working uh, remotely after I had some kids, conned my employers into letting me work from home. And then uh, that worked for a long time until they got bought out by a national company and then they wanted me to come back into the office. And after like, you know, five years of working in your pajamas, I was like, I'm not going to do that. And so I started getting some freelance clients. And then beyond that, they wanted more of my time and I didn't have any. People were saying like, oh, how do I find a you? You know? And so I said, oh, entrepreneurial light bulbs went off. And I was like, oh, wait, you don't want me. You just want someone you can trust. And I can help mm. you find someone you can trust. And so that's really how Priority VA was born um, in, what, 2012. Wow. So since 2012, you started out. And so when you started out Priority VA, was that with you as the sole virtual assistant? Or did you have a few other folks helping you out from the beginning? Yeah, so I incorporated like the name Priority VA just when I became a contractor to kind of cover my own tail, right? Uh, and then that slowly emerged into people wanting 
other support, right? That couldn't be me because I have four kids. I couldn't do any more actual work myself. And so it's probably about a year in to when we started like actually contracting out with other people and we grew a team super slow. I remember my first hire was a total joke and then like would kind of hire some other people and then it was like five and then it was like we have 22 EAs and then it was like 35 and then 60 and you know it was crazy uh, a lot of crazy growth but yeah I started with me working in my home office and about a year later my husband quit his job and joined me. Wow so you're at 80 VAs now yeah and a core staff of six what were some of those challenges? Well, let's harken back to the, their early days first. Okay. What were some of those challenges that you faced in those early years of growing your business? Um, probably, and it's still a struggle for me, honestly, if it, it is, if we're being super real, uh, is financial acumen was my biggest struggle. I remember when we first started, I charged people $20 an hour and I paid uh, my team like, $18 an hour, right? Like I didn't make any money and I never charged anybody for matching them with an assistant, right? So I just didn't understand like how to make money. I just wanted to help people. And so I had to learn how to also pay my bills while helping people. And that wasn't something that came naturally to me. And honestly, it's something I still struggle with is in understanding the numbers. Like they scare me and they kind of freak me out. But I'd say that was probably the biggest challenge was finances. So my first outsourcing that we did was we actually hired an accounting company to help because I'm like, this is the area that I'm going to struggle the most and I need somebody way smarter than me. And, you know, really, isn't that what you preach so much now mm -hmm. is, you know, what's the first thing you outsource? The thing you hate doing the most? Exactly. Um, and so how did that help? What was the difference once you were able to do that? Yeah, so, and this sounds so weird, especially for people that understand numbers and data and what doesn't kind of freak them out. But I would open QuickBooks because that's what you used at the time. And it would be like this red line, right? And, it would tell me, and I'm like, wait, we're dying. Like, we're, my kids are going to have to eat ramen noodles. I'm going to, like, how are we going to pay our mortgage? And I just didn't understand it. And so what it gave me was peace of mind, right? That I had someone who uh, we had sort of goals. I remember saying, like, I'm never going to feel comfortable owning a business until I had $15,000 in the bank, like just cash ready to go at any time. Now that number has gone up, you know, a couple of years ago, it was like, I'm not going to feel comfortable until I have $100,000 in the bank. That number has since gone up, right? And so obviously I still have money issues I got to work through, but what it, it gave me first was peace of mind that someone else was looking out for the, the freight train that I thought was coming. Right. Well, fair enough. And, you know, there's, there's something to be said for figuring out what are the things that terrify you yep. and then how do we how do we find comfort in that yeah for me it was like i needed to i needed to have somebody that got the lingo of money cuz mm -hmm. i didn't and i don't want to get it now now you know our our business is definitely much more successful and like I think it's gonna work now you know like <laughs> we're like you know six years seven years into this whole thing and I'm like I think it might work now and so I, I've adjusted I think some of my expectations I don't always think that the the wheels are gonna fall off the bus as much anymore but with each sort of level of growth that we had I had to confront those demons all over again uh, when 10000 became $100,000. When, you know, I'm like, gosh, when am I ever going to be, what's going to be enough to make me feel secure? Mm. And so 
when you think about that in terms of the stages of business growth that you experienced, because I think, you know, part of the motivation for this show, Trevinia, is to help women who are on that path, who want to achieve a million dollars and beyond yeah. in their business, um, see it. And so I think part of what I'm seeing in terms of the themes that are emerging is that there are times when you need to do those things to break through or to level up to that next level. So when you think back to that um, hiring that person, about where were you on that progress, do you, do you remember? Yeah, I mean, we were definitely at six figures already, probably maybe like $375,000 a year, maybe. Okay. Like we were, yeah. we were pretty knee deep in. I mean, I remember we had like 35 EAs at that point and I was trying to figure out payroll and like, oh, it was just such a mess. And then I was like passing it off to my husband and making him do it. And then we were fighting all the time. It was just so crazy. Uh, and the lesson that in that for your listeners, I think more than anything, I tell people all the time that like the best thing that we can do as entrepreneurs is know ourselves really well. Mm. And I knew it, like I knew that it scared me. I knew that it wasn't good at money. Um, and I kept trying to say, but like I'm the CEO and I have to be right. And so it's my job. And I don't, and I would tell myself all sorts of stories about not being able to afford a bookkeeper, accounting support or whatever. And, and so I, I pushed through way longer than I should have instead of like biting the bullet and being like, this is like the bane of my existence right now. And it's preventing me from doing all the things I'm really good at. And so I wish I would have done it a lot sooner, but I'm so glad that I waited because the team that I have in place, I mean, I just think it's kind of like however the stars aligned, right? Like they were at a spot where they wanted to take on a full service client because they don't do that anymore, you know? And so they do all of it for us. Like, I mean, AR, AP, payroll, like all of that stuff. And it's just, it's super helpful. So I think knowing yourself really well and then being willing to take a calculated risk and having somebody around you, I don't care if it's a coach or a mentor, or a book you read, a freaking Instagram post that you see, um, that gives you whatever that like last little bit of gumption is that says like, okay, I believe in myself enough to take this mm. risk, even though I'm scared out of my mind. Mm. Well, you've really clearly identified, you know, some of those areas where you're still growing in your business. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what you see as your, your strengths. What is it that has helped you grow this business to the amazing success that it is? I think probably the biggest strength, which maybe this is just a season of my life I'm in, honestly, but it, and also I think could be a weakness for me, Sarah, is that I keep, I keep getting up. You know, I, I've, we've had some big knocks, um, you know, competitors or, you know, teammates that were less than ideal or, um, I, I mean, just technology changes, you know, that have sort of thrown wrenches in what we're doing. And instead of just being like, never mind, this isn't going to work. I'm just going to go get a job at Starbucks. Uh, I just keep getting up and keep saying, all right, we're going to figure this out. We're going to dig in. And I think that's probably my biggest strength. And I'd say... Another strength that I have is that I am brutally honest about who I am and who I am not. Um, and that was something that I learned the hard way. We were trying to be all things to all people, and we had to get really clear on who we are and who we weren't. And that's when I think the, the tide really started to change for us. And so how did you do that? 
it was like gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. And I just finally was like, why does this keep happening to us? And how can I prevent it? Right? Like if you think of a, I'm not like a martial artist or anything, but like if you think of like, you know, taking a punch and then learning how to block, right? Like I kept thinking like, what can we, what can I do to block some of these punches? Because they're going to keep coming. Technology is going to come. AI is coming into the scene, like all this stuff. And so what can our blocks be? And for us, it was really just sorting out that our blocks could be on getting really clear on who we wanted to serve and how we wanted to show up for them and saying no to everything else. And that is incredibly hard when you're worried about like how you're going to make your mortgage or how you're going to make payroll for your people. Because you just want to say yes, because it's money. And getting laser discipline and focus on saying no to anything that isn't whatever it is you decide, that was really helpful for us, but hard, very hard. So hard, right? I mean, just to say no is is such a difficult thing, particularly when you're worried about, uh, you know, the the wheels going off at at all the times. Yeah. Mm. So now that you are... You know, when you, when, you, when you say that, you know, your greatest strength of like just keeping going, what does that look like for you in terms of, you know, is there a favorite routine that you like? Is there, are there things when the chips are down that Trevinia needs to do in order to keep frigging going? Yeah, so uh, a few things. And uh, again, I, this is the, uh, please like listeners take away from this, that by no means have I made it or achieved anything. Like I'm still, there is no finish line, right? We're still a work in progress. And so one of the things that I realized, uh, you know, I started a podcast in January and my own podcast. And I remember doing this episode about my morning routine and how excited I was and how it changed my life. And it was like the best thing ever. And then come like August of this year, I was like, what's a morning routine? Like, I mean, I had just completely and utterly fallen off the wagon of this routine, but it was a game changer for me in the business. And so now it's, you know, whatever month we're recording this thing in and it's like, oh my gosh, okay, I've got to get back to those basics that I knew worked for me. And so for me, it was like waking up, having some apple cider vinegar, like writing in a gratitude journal, reading a chapter of a book, like having just actual quiet time because I have four kids, right? Before the chaos started, before I checked my email or my phone or the social media thing and and making that clear time for my brain to just be still was really, um, really powerful for me. And I have definitely fallen off. I'm reading a book right now um, by Ryan Holiday. And it's called Stillness is the Key. Mm. Now I'm only about like 90 pages into it, but it is rocking my world. And if I learn nothing from that book, it is that the practice I had in place actually did something, even though I tried to dismiss it of like, it was no big deal. Well, you know, I think that's fascinating because I am a huge fan of your podcast of Diary of a Doer. And I, you know, part of why I was so excited to have you on the show today is because you've been a huge part of my life in this one-way communication for months and months. And that episode in particular uh, my cousin and I, she she has actually transitioned um, to be a, a stay-at-home mom who yeah. runs their household and is the CEO of this crazy household. Yeah. And so she really took on this, I need to figure out my morning routine. Again, with three little kids. Yes. I have also, so um, 
I encourage you to go back and take uh-huh. your own advice. Right, it works. I, yes. It really does. I've created this lovely routine, and that's the thing about routines, right? And I think that's the thing that we have to keep going back to is, you know what? Routines come and go. And with every, my life is really seasonal. My husband is a commercial lobster fisherman. So I feel like we just transition. We truly transition once a quarter Mm -hmm. and and so does everybody. So, you know, it is a really great reminder that we may have these routines that have served us well. Sometimes that we don't need them anymore. And sometimes we do need to circle back to them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me in this season is that, I was in a real season of wanting, and this is so paradoxical, guys, because I was wanting quiet to think. I was just like, I just want to think. I just want to think, right? Uh, But what I ended up doing was being more busy instead Mm. of kind of getting, letting that morning routine catapult me into like good, solid thinking time. I just went right into like, I'm going to just write business plans and I'm going to like think of new products and I'm so dumb. And so one of the things that was a a huge reminder for me is like my health started to kind of deteriorate, right? I started packing on the pounds again, or I started like realizing that I'm getting super tired in the middle of the day when I used to not anymore Mm -hmm. um, because I wasn't prioritizing sleep as well. And so, yeah, it's a huge reminder of like, dang it, girl, just go do those things, right? We know. And that's the thing, guys, is we know what works. We just get off track sometimes or we get distracted by whatever shiny latest tactic, you know, somebody else is doing. Um, And so sometimes I think we just need a hard reset, just like we reset our computer, right? We just need a hard reset of what we know works. Uh, Such great advice. On that, I'm going to lead us off into break. And when we come back, um, we're going to continue our conversation with Trevinia Barber. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. I'm Sarah Roach-Lewis, and I'm so happy to be here today with Trevinia Barber. Trevinia, um, tell me about some of those key strategic decisions that you've had to make in your business. Was there a time when you thought, okay, in order for me to hit that next marker, I, I need to push to a million. What do I need to do in order to level up? Yeah, a couple of those were probably when we decided to... Um, actually offer a, a service that was like a test for us. It was like, can we do a task-based service? So in our service, in our business, we 
pair entrepreneurs with virtual executive assistants, right? And But we do it in like groups of 40 hours. But we were getting a lot of people asking us, like, can we, if I just had a task-based service, when I had a thing come up that I could just ping you for that one thing. And so we built it and we tried it and it failed miserably. It was, it was just the cost that it took to run it versus the revenue, the margins that we made from it was, it was just a sunk cost in not a loss leader kind of way. It was like, this is dumb and a, a horrible waste of our time. And so the strategic decision to shut that down was a hard one. But interestingly, when we shut that down, it was like 60% of the clients that we had on that service bought into our bigger service because we had like given them proof that we could help them and support them. So that was a really big strategic decision. And I'd say the only other one, (laughs) the only one, but the (laughs) only other one that like stands out to me was the decision to take my husband out of the COO role. Um, and let him do more of the marketing stuff. And that was hard for me because I was like, this feels like I'm demoting my husband, right? <laughs> and, and it's not. And we were, I think everybody was just super grateful. We're like, no, he's not, like that's not his best and highest use. And this is where he's, uh, he's kind of better serves our company. And so that was strategic and challenging. But also as soon as we did it, like projects started getting done a lot faster. And like we started doing a lot more than we were with him in that role. And I love him to death, but that was not a fit. <laughs> well, you know, that's a, a whole other path of yeah. the challenges of working with your partner. Definitely. Um, and I have a small business that we run together, a tuna charter business, and we've never had to really worry about roles too much because I take care of the land and he takes care of the sea. Yeah. So it's really easy. But at the very beginning, um, he was doing sales and talking to the clients and we just had to stop because they would, you know, he's such an expert and so passionate about what he was doing that they would ask them, you know, they would ask him a really kind of simple, broad question, and he would be down to, and this is the kind of hook we're going to use. <laughs> Break it down, babe. A little bit simpler. Yeah, yeah a little <laughs> simpler. Talking to a five-year-old, honey. <laughs> they don't need to know that quite yet. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I think is, is so amazing, Trevinia, is less than 2% of women-owned businesses achieve seven figures and beyond. And so congratulations. We don't always reflect on that. Yeah, we don't. Uh, Because like I said, the finish line never moves, right? And so we don't take time to celebrate the wins that we have accomplished. Um, Another cool thing that I do is, uh, can I use a bad word on this? Go for it. Uh, Okay. Uh, I have something called a badass list. um, And I think everyone needs to create it. I learned it from a lady uh, called Jen Gottlieb. And she says, just go back as far as you can think, like even when you were a child, to anything that you've done that was kind of badass. And I have this list. um, And that, I have that. And it reminds me of the things that I've done that uh, other people recognize or that I felt good about in myself. And then I have another folder on my computer. It's just like a little folder. And I take screenshots of any time anyone says something good about me. So if I get an email that says something or like an EA tells me how I've impacted their life or whatever, I screenshot it and I put it in there. And that folder is called for when I feel like shit. (laughs) Um, And I go in there like, because sometimes we have highs and lows of like, am I doing the right thing? am I an imposter? Like, do I even have what it takes to do this? And so those are two reminders for me of like, no, you have done hard things. 
right? You've done really great thing. That's the badass list. And then like, yes, you are capable of doing these things because look at the impact you're already making. So um, we got to have those reminders, man, or we fall into a pit. It's and and how simple are both of those things? Yeah, right. So easy. A screenshot and save it because we all have those days where we're feeling terrible and those days. And I think that one around your badass list. What that's so powerful for is reminding ourselves that we've already done hard things. Yep. Particularly in those times when we need to level up to that next thing. So tell me about what are the things that you do differently than when you started out? And what are the tried and true? Started it on day one and you're still doing it. Yeah. So differently is I have stopped playing martyr. Um, I used to honestly think that if I worked more hours, I would get more done. And so I was the girl that was like 14 hours, 16 hours. Like my husband would bring me salad or, you know, pasta or whatever to my desk. And I, the biggest kicker was when I had a Fitbit and it said I moved 13 steps in a day. And I was like, well, that's how long it takes to get from my office to my desk. Um, and it was just a huge indicator for me. So that, that definitely I had to, I had to shake up and obviously outsource <laughs> and figure out what my highest and best use activities were and then move my body. Those are things. And then tried and true things. Um, I always have a to-do list, like always. Like that is, and I am, I am, I have it right here. Like you guys don't see this, it's on video, but I have a, a yellow pad of paper and I have a list of the things that I have to get done today. Um, and there's typically two to three things that are like non-negotiable things that I got to do. And then the rest, you know, are, are fine. Like if I get to them, great. If not, but that helps keep my mind clear because when we have email and Facebook notifications and all of these distractions, I think that what is urgent for someone else can start to feel very urgent for me, but my list helps me like stay focused on what I need to do. Mm. It's, it is a great tried and true, isn't it? Lists are yeah. beautiful. No, <laughs> it really it seems so lame, but I'm like, you know what? When push comes to shove, like I know what I need to do today. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fair. So tell me a little bit about the kinds of clients that you serve. You work predominantly or solely in the online space. Um, yes, uh, predominantly online space. Um, our clients range anywhere from uh, physicians who are like have coaching programs to attorneys who are, you know, trying to bring their world online to authors, to coaches, to speakers, to CEOs of corporations. We had a client that had brick and mortar like gas station. He, he had products that were sold in gas stations all over the United States. And, but he still needed support in his personal life, right? Like he needed his email handled and his calendar and all of his travel and stuff, even though his business was predominantly brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. We helped him virtually uh, for years. And so you really have developed a framework that helps people, you know, sort out that interplay between products, people, and processes. Yeah. And it's really around growth and efficiency. So tell me, you get to actually see under the hood of lots of businesses. And they're all messed up. So let me just tell you that. They are all messed up, you guys. <laughs> doesn't matter how big they are. It doesn't matter how small. It doesn't matter how big of a team they have or how amazing the CEO is and who they work with. They're all a mess. Right. And so it's so, it's so true. I, I mean, I, I see the same thing over and over again as well. So when we look at that, 
And you've seen these businesses from all different, um, you know, industries and vantage points. Are there certain things that you see as being key to that grow and scale that are, you know, that, that our audience is really interested in? So keys to growth and scale that I've seen across the board is I would say most founders, CEOs, high level management people, whatever it is, um, they absolutely do not outsource outcomes. They outsource tasks. Even if they have a team of one or a team of a hundred and one, a lot of them have not gotten to the point where they're actually handing over entire processes um, so that actual outcomes can be achieved. They might give a piece of the pie, but they do not empower their teams to do the whole thing and then be accountable for that whole thing. Because I think for a lot of reasons, we are scared as founders or CEOs. Like if I give it all to the person and they mess it up, then I'm really in trouble. Instead of us in doing the four things I think that any founder needs to do. They need to uh, encourage their team. They need to equip their team, right? Give them the right tools to do the job. Um, then they need to empower their team, which means back off and actually let them do what they were created to do so you can do what you were created to do. And then they need to engage with the team, right? Because a lot of founders have assistants or virtual teams or whatever staff and they're the first to cancel the meetings with, right? You're stressed out. I'm just going to move my meeting with my EA. Like that one doesn't matter. Um, and, and they don't engage. They don't engage properly in a lot of cases. They're in this really weird cycle of like maybe the EA will mess up and then they're super frustrated with something, right? And they're just like, why doesn't he or she get it? It's like, I just don't get it. And then they pull back and they take that task or that outcome back. And then at some point, either they completely shut down or they blow up right? This is like, I throw pens. <laughs> so uh, those, that little sick cycle like keeps happening. And so instead of us just engaging with our team and being like, look, here's, here's where there's the breakdown and here's what we need to see change. So yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for the relationship that we have with the people on our team. And I think that when done well, y'all can move mountains. You just can. Yeah. So Give me a little bit of a description about the difference between outsourcing tasks and outsourcing yeah. outcomes. Oh, great. Okay, so you, uh, so I've got a podcast. And if I want to outsource a task of my podcast, I might tell my assistant, um, here is the audio of my podcast. Please take out all of the ums and ahs that I did. Well, that is just a task. Instead, what I do is I give my assistant the outcome of I want a podcast released every single Tuesday by 6 a.m. Eastern. And together we come up with the 32 things that need to happen in order for that to happen. And that is on her to make sure that that happens. And so that includes us, her working with me and blocking my calendar so that we can flesh out what kind of content we're going to write. Then her assigning that to my content writer booking the meeting on my calendar to review those things, right? Booking the time for me to actually record the podcast, following up with me to make sure I recorded it and sent it to the editor. Her talking to the editor to, you know, make sure that there's any weird things that need to be edited out. Getting that edit back, her writing the show notes, her creating the social media, her creating all of that, right? Her publishing the podcast and then us doing that all over. That is outsourcing an outcome. 
right? It is not my responsibility. My responsibility is I record that episode when it's on my calendar and I do a good episode. That's my job. Her job is to make sure every single piece of that puzzle gets done. So you see the difference? A hundred percent. And how beautiful is that? And it really does speak to how much you need to trust the people that you're working with in order to make sure that that happens. So Trevinia, your podcast is called The Diary of a Doer. Yeah. You started your career doing admin support. Yep. You are really good at the outcomes. You're really good at the tasks. How did you get to the place of being able to outsource these things that you're actually really good at? The one thing that I still don't like to outsource, but I do just because it's like, come on, it's not the best use of my time is travel because I still nitpick and I still think that I do it way better than everybody. Um, (laughs) But um, I got to the point to be able to do it because I had to, like I had to that if we think of that whole leveling up conversation we were having earlier, if I wanted to grow and really grow my business, I mean, I'm talking like I have goals. I want to I want to have a $5 million business next year. And if I want to hit that goal, me looking on Google flights for 20 minutes when I could be doing another podcast that's going to get more eyeballs on our business, what's the best use of my time? If we're talking purely from an ROI perspective, I could do it because I think I can do it right or my assistant can buy a ticket for $18 more than I would have found it. Like, come on, right? Because that's the stuff I was nitpicking, Sarah. Like, totally stupid. And so, yeah, I had to. If we wanted to grow, and I think this is every entrepreneur's um, debacle, is that we are terrified to let go. Uh, In a lot of ways, we don't think we deserve the help. I remember feeling Mm. like, who the heck am I to feel like I am that, like I've, arrived in such a way that I don't have to book my travel anymore. Like it felt weird to me and like in some way that I wasn't deserving of that support. And so if I wanted to grow, because in my mind, this is how I view it. Every man or woman that works on my team, um, many of them, they put diapers on their baby's butts with the work that we do. And if I'm not out there pitching my business and growing my business, I am taking away from them and I have a huge responsibility. And if my pride about saving $18 on an airfare ticket is getting in the way of me helping those men and women that we serve, then I, I have major ego issues that I got to figure out, right? Right. And so when you came to that, is that something that you came to on your own or was there a process of someone on your team or someone external saying, Trevinia, hon, gotta stop doing that? Yeah, that that one came to me on my own. But here's where I did have external um, motivation to make changes in my life. Uh, So we all know I was already an executive assistant. But what people don't really know is that my business was already making seven figures and I was still being an executive assistant for 30 to 35 hours a week for someone else. Um, So my priority VA was a side hustle that was like (laughs) literally making seven figures while I was being an executive assistant for someone else. And uh, a friend of mine, a a mentor and a coach told me like the thing that I worry about with you, Trevenia, is you're never going to fully step into being a CEO and take your business where you could as long as you're being an employee for someone else. And that was the seed for me of like, he's right. Like I, I, I was afraid. I used to say, and I'd fill in that client's name, right? And I'm like, at least my work for her pays my mortgage. Like if Priority VA fails, 
My mortgage is always like it's paid and I don't have to worry about that. And again, this, I mean, full circle moment, right? It goes right back to that money conversation um, for me. And I was so afraid of that, that I would not let go of doing work for someone else so I could actually build my business. Um, That everybody needs a a Todd Herman in their life to, to give them some hard kick in the pants about (laughs) what they, what was obvious. It was obvious to everybody else. They're like, what is she doing? So, Yes, and Todd Herman is great at giving people kicks in the pants. <laughs> How, I mean, would you consider yourself risk adverse? Absolutely. And, and so how does someone who's so risk adverse hold on for this crazy ride of building this multiple seven-figure business? Yeah, uh, what I had to do is I had to build a team around me of people that were very different than I am. So um, our our accountant, um, who interestingly, she actually serves on our core team now instead of just like an outsourced kind of entity. Um, She is very like okay with risk. Her tolerance for risk is, and since she knows the money and the numbers and stuff, I feel super comfortable with that. And so she is sort of a sounding board for me when I'm, because here's the challenge is I get these harebrained, crazy visionary ideas that entrepreneurs have where it's like, Ooh, this is kind of crazy, but I think it will be fun or I think we can make money or I think we can have a lot of impact. But then when it kind of would come time to it, I get super scared. I'm like, Oh, maybe not. Like maybe we should like wait a little bit or do a little bit more research. And I would keep giving myself all these excuses. And then Jessica is her name. She comes into the picture and she's like, mm, no, actually, uh, quarter three of this year, 2019, she's like, we're going to create and uh, we're going to conceptualize, create and launch a course in 45 days. So get ready. We're going to do it. And I was like, oh my gosh. So a course that I had on my mind, on my whiteboard for like a year, two years, maybe she was like, we're going to do it. And so she took all the risk for me, right? She was just like, we're going we're gonna to do this and I believe in you. And so, yeah, I think we just have to have people around us that are going to be a different uh, viewpoint because they help us. I think if we're really honest, I think fear is what holds us back the majority of the time. I was afraid nobody would buy it, honestly. And I didn't want to have the ego blow of creating something and have nobody buy it. And then that would feed the like monster that tells me I'm a failure. Right. So, but then you have somebody alongside you who's like, no, I believe in you and I know this can sell. So we're going to do it. Like, okay. Uh, You figured out how to outsource risk. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take us to commercial and we'll be right back. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. 
Again, that's Sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. I'm Sarah Roach-Lewis, and I'm here with Trevinia Barber. And uh, before the break, we were talking about how Trevinia has managed to outsource risk and her worry about risk in her business. Trevinia, what I know about you, um, particularly through your podcast, is how much you really love and rely on personality assessments um, within your business. Tell me a little bit about that and why, why those really work for you. Yeah. So, you know, it really started with is me just kind of trying to throw spaghetti at the wall, right? Like, how am I going to like match entrepreneur A with the right assistant? And I was like, what tools do I have besides my gut, right? Because I think my gut is on point, but I needed something concrete to kind of back up what my gut was telling me. And so for us at first, it was just a disc assessment. I mean, it's easy to use. It's fairly decent to, you know, for people to understand and digest the information. And then I would definitely get a little shiny object syndrome and a new personality test would come out. And I'm like, oh, let's use Wealth Dynamics. That's an amazing one. Or Colby is super popular. And, and so we've tried almost all of them. Um, and we've settled on Colby for sure in business. I think it just gives a really great picture of who people are. And one that I like interestingly, because again, when we're trying to match EAs and executives, I need the whole picture of like who someone is. And so Colby for me matched with the Enneagram personality profile is a little bit of magic. And I like it because it gives me insight into how people think and how people behave and how people uh, feel in a sense, right? So you get to kind of understand what their triggers are. And again, I'm matching what I believe is their most important relationship in their business. Um, and so I have to make sure that I'm not going to give them someone who's going to like totally trigger them all the time based on how someone else shows up. So I just like them. I think that they're super helpful and can give us a launch pad for really great discussion. So then we can make sure the matches are right. But they're not 100% reliable, dude. Ben Hardy wrote a book. It's coming out next year and it's called like personalities or personality tests or lies or something like that. And it just totally dispels the whole use of them. And he believes that they actually pigeonhole us into saying like, well, I can't do that because I'm an introvert, right? And that we sort of limit ourselves by using them. I don't tend to think that. I just like to look at them as like a conversation starter for getting to know somebody a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. I um, am trained to do Myers-Briggs assessment. And what are you, Sarah? Well, I find it. Oh, what am I? I'm an ENTJ. (gasps) So am I. This is why we, we get along. (laughs) As long as we both have our own parts of the world to manage, right? Exactly. (laughs) But I think for me, um, the personality assessment is a great, I believe in cheat sheets and templates. And that's part of why I'm doing this, this show is let's figure out what is that path to a million dollars and then reverse engineer it. And yes, of course, it's different for, for everybody and all kinds of things. But I think for me, that personality assessment, um, Yes, I agree with Ben that people can say, well, I'm introverted and therefore I can't do this. And so we do have to be careful with how we use them. But man, is it ever helpful to be looking at how do I communicate in a way where I'm going to be heard and that we're going to be able to get the outcomes that we're looking for. Yeah, Yeah. I love them. What's your Mm -hmm. favorite one? Myers-Briggs then? 
Well, yeah, it's just kind of the one. I like Myers-Briggs and I like Style Matters. It's a conflict assessment Um, because I'm also trained as a mediator, but I don't like conflict. So I've created a training around how to prevent it. That is the best. I love that. I want to see like your sales page for that. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's scary. Um, So... What, what is that piece of advice? Like, you know, we've, we've talked a lot. Um, you've got a wealth of experience. What is that advice that either you continue to give or someone has given you that you go back to over and over again in this moving toward this big business goals? Yeah. So, you know, I'm actually going to answer that by telling you like the, another question that I've, I've always been asked is like, what do you wish someone would have told you? And it sort of ends up being the advice, two pieces of advice that I give is I always wish that somebody would have really been really raw and told me how hard this is because it's hard. And there are like up days and, you know, you think this like straight line, right? And, and, Derek Halpern did a like a meme once that had like a bunch of squiggly lines, right? And up and down and whatever. And that's really what entrepreneurship is. And I think that just like when I got LASIK surgery, uh, I watched a bunch of videos before LASIK so that I could like see what it was going to be like. Cause I just, I'm a planner. And so I wish someone would have said like, you're going to have really, really high days where you think like you just scaled Everest and you're going to have really low days where you just can't get out of bed. Um, because I feel like it would have helped me prepare. So that is what I would tell people is like, this is going to be hard. And if you've scaled your business to seven figures in like five months, good on you. Um, like way to go, but the crash might come and you got to be prepared for that too. Right. So th- there's that. And then I think that I always sign off on podcasts or, or whatever, when I do interviews and say like, no matter what you do, you just don't do this alone. Um, because isolation is really, really challenging to come out of when you're in this entrepreneurial space. You know, my, my best friend when I lived in Colorado worked as a Delta ticket agent, right? And so when I hit seven figures, I felt like, how do I tell my friend that makes like $9 an hour that I just made a million dollars? Like, and it felt really mm-hmm. weird to me. And so I started to isolate. And I started to feel like, oh, I can't really tell people um, what I'm doing. And that isolation is really challenging. And so don't do it alone. Like, have family, have friends, have mentors, um, have people that get you. And no matter where you have to go to find those people, find them because they're out there and they're going to be the ones that help you get through like the highs and lows that are coming. Yeah. So how did you find your, your tribe or the people around you? Because you, I mean, you work from home, yeah. you work in the online space. So that isolation can become even more prevalent, I'm sure. Yeah, I begged. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so I, I paid my way in, honestly, if, uh, if, if we're going to be really, yeah, transparent is I found communities that I wanted to be a part of. And I built relationships with people that were part of those communities. And then by some stroke of luck, I got invited to be part of them. And many of them are paid communities. So like paid groups, Um, you know, you can think of EO chapters or Vistage or um, for me, it's a, a community called Mastermind Talks. And 
it's like coming home when I go to those events. You know, I'm like, you people get me. You get my silliness. You get my craziness. You get my fear and all of it. And so for me, I paid for it. Um, there's, I think, a lot of ways people can do it for free. And that can be whether it's like a Facebook group or a LinkedIn community that you're a part of. But for me, I needed like actual energy because I work from home. And so me being on another Zoom call wasn't enough for me. Like I needed physical, like, can I hug you <laughs> kind of stuff. And so for me, it's uh, events that I I go to as part of these paid communities and and you pay for them yeah. so have you are they worth the money Absolutely. So I paid $40,000 one year to be part of a mastermind that met three times a year um, I didn't get a lot of like business support out of it so from that aspect I was like waste of money but from the relationship standpoint of the people that I met, 100% worth it. There's an event that I go to every year without fail. I will not miss it. It costs like $12,000 a year to go to one three-day event. And that sounds asinine when you look at it. However, I know that I could call any one of those 150 people that are in that group if shit really hit the fan. And I could be like, I need, I need a $20,000 loan or like I can't pay my mortgage and they would help me. And that is worth anything for me. It really is. So, <clears throat> you know, you've talked a little bit about the mentorship and the, and the support that you receive. What are some of the ways that you give back to your community in terms of giving mentorship? Yeah. So one of my favorite ways is, uh, is I've stumbled upon this organization called Defy Ventures. And Defy aims to serve um, incarcerated individuals, people who some of them are getting out, others are never going to get out of prison, and, uh, and teaches them entrepreneurial skills. Because two things that contribute to the recidivism rate in the United States are that people don't have housing when they get out of jail, and they don't have a job. And many people are not going to hire a felon to sweep their floor, let alone manage their company. And so this uh, venture, Defy Ventures, aims to teach uh, men and women how to start their own business because you can't tell me I can't start my own company, right? And so we're teaching entrepreneurial skills to these men and it has been honestly, one of the highlights of my life um, going into these maximum security prisons and listening to kind of Shark Tank pitch style competitions where these men are pitching their business ideas and some of them are completely cheesy and might never happen. And the cool thing that I love about it is, is that these men do not want your pity. They do not want your sympathy. If their idea sucks, they're like, please tell me it sucks. And I have. Uh, <laughs> And others are brilliant ideas where you're like, I cannot wait for you to get out because like this is going to take off if you're able to kind of put some legs behind it. And so uh, that's one way that we give back. And so a percentage of our proceeds um, from our business actually go to help fund those events for Defy. And uh, I love going there. They're in California. I can't wait until they come out east so that I can like not have to fly all the way to California all the time. But uh, it's definitely an experience I think every entrepreneur should go to because understanding that we are in many cases born into very different situations and sometimes we are just one bad decision away um, from us being just like them honestly mm, yeah and 
Absolutely. And I think the other thing, I also love Defy Ventures. I heard their founder talk to uh, Tim Ferriss a couple yes. of years ago, and it's just brilliant. And I've heard you talk about it as well. And so I also think the other piece to that is, you know, we are all one kind of could be one bad decision away from being in jail. The other thing I think that's so fascinating about that and wonderful is how little it actually takes to give someone that leg up or that lift up. And what does that do for, um, you know, those, those folks who are experiencing that program and what that could, what difference that could make in their lives when they leave or even if they continue to stay in jail. Yeah, there are, there are men that have life without parole. They're never going to get out. And it's awesome because sometimes I go to Kern Valley Correctional in California and these men will remember me. They'll be like, wait, you, you came last year. And I'm like, I did. And they're like, are you going to come back again? You know, and they remember uh, there was a guy who, who my husband and I got to go one time and there was a guy who came up to us and he, at the end, they give you, uh, there's like a little rose ceremony, right? And they gave me a rose for friendship. And he said, I want to have a love like the two of you guys have, like, this man was able to see the relationship that my husband and I had. And he's just like, when I get out, like that is what I'm going for is what I saw in you guys. And then I went back and saw him like two years later, right? Cause he's still there serving like 18 years or something. And he was just like, Chris isn't here. I'm like, you remembered my husband's name from two years ago. Yeah. So we never realized the impact that our kindness can have on someone else. And so I just, I love it. It's check it out to fiveventures.com, dude, you got to go. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. Um, a number of years ago I did, uh, I facilitated some workshops in the, in the minimum security prison here. And I will continue to maintain that they were um, the most engaged audience I have mm-hmm. ever facilitated for. And part of that is just a gratitude that someone is there um, listening and bearing witness to their story. And also there are no cell phones and they have to ask to go to the bathroom. <laughs> There's that too. <laughs> right? It, it really is a cool experience. So Trevini, as we start to wrap up, tell me about your bold vision for your business. What does uh, the future for Trevinia and for Pri- Priority VA look like? Yeah. So, you know, it's so interesting. My team is coming in next week for a week of strategic planning so that we can actually map out what what we're calling uh, Trevenia 2.0 and Priority VA 2.0 are because I'm going to take uh, the rest of the year off. Interestingly, I am taking a sabbatical of sorts to get still and to make sure that I am doing my morning practices, right? And that I am I'm just really leaning in and listening to what I feel like uh, I'm being called to do next. But here's what we at least lo- think it's going to look like. So I'm going to lean ha- more heavily into speaking and consulting and coaching and doing those things that I really get fed by doing. And I, I feel like I do a great job at that. So I'm going to lean in heavily to that. And then from a Priority VA perspective, we are uh, going to be creating a new way for executive assistants to get the support that they need so that they can serve their founders at a really high level without burning out themselves. So we're taking a lot of the lessons that I've learned in building a business and in being an executive assistant, and we're going to kind of go really, really deep into those to serve as many people because I have, again, lofty goals. I want to serve 10,000 people and impact a lot of lives, and I think that I think that we can do that. Uh, I am so excited um, that the world is going to include a lot more Trevinia. Thank Um, you. 
One of the questions that I realize right now that I wanted to ask you about and I didn't, but we have enough time for it, um, is you are in the online space. Um, you are so active on Facebook and Instagram. You seem to have figured out the secret sauce of being authentic and real. You talk about your kids and your faith and your family and your business and your exercise and whether you're sleeping. Was that something that it comes natural to you or have you had to learn how to be like that? Such a great question. So I have the word truth tattooed on me. Uh, and so it's, it's important. It's kind of a core value of mine to just be honest. And here's what I realized is that I worked for a lot of high profile people. We have a lot of high profile clients. I get to see the behind the scenes of all of what it really looks like. And I started to get a little bit frustrated of the shiny, cute little Instagram pictures that you'd see of all of the polished, you know, um, blowouts and all of that stuff. And was like, but that's not really what it's like. I know because I see I'm behind the scenes. And so I just made a commitment that I wanted to share the ups and the downs, right? The triumphs and the, and the sort of pitfalls of what this is like for us. So yeah, it's a little bit of both, but mainly it's just who I am to be, go really deep, really fast and, and not hold anything back. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here. I have so enjoyed chatting with you and I do encourage, we will share um, all of your socials and Priority VA so people can check out what you're up to. And I do encourage everyone to check out Diary of a Doer. It is my go-to podcast when I'm going for a walk. It is a very rare week that I don't check in and find out what Trevinia is talking about on her podcast. So in the meantime, I do want to say uh, thank you to those who help me produce the show each week. My executive producer is Jesse Jamison, the production crew at Voice America. Carly Martin is my, um, is my social media manager, Christine Manley, and Sarah Banstra. Finally, Trevinia, thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Breakthrough. Be sure to join Sarah Roach Lewis again with another inspiring interview next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week.